Hi, I'm your host, Rowan Tonkin, and welcome to Being Planful, the show for FP&A leaders and planning experts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Planful. As you know, my name's Rowan Tonkin. I'm the CMO here at Planful, and I'm uh, fantastically pleased to introduce you today to Ian Snore. Uh, Ian is the president and founder at the Marquee Group and also the executive director of the Financial Modeling Institute. Ian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. Really thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So firstly, let's, uh, let's get a bit of an understanding of uh, what is the Financial Modeling Institute and, and why, uh, why does it exist? Well, that's an excellent question. It exists because financial modeling has become a uh, a skill set of increasing importance. It has become more and more important over the years, and as a result, uh, we a bunch of us globally felt the need to build this. And what it actually is is an accreditation organization. Think of it like CPA or mm-hmm. CMA, an accounting accreditation body, or ACCA globally. We have a big partnership with ACCA. We are offering the world's first ever rigorous, challenging financial modeling exam so people can prove that they actually have uh, exceptional financial modeling skills. So obviously that's important uh, when we're talking about the world of financial planning analysis, uh, which many of the the listeners and and the viewers of this show are in the space of FP&A. And you know, they want to be able to say, you know, hey, I have a special set of skills that, that helps me get paid more, but also it helps them drive better business outcomes and right. become a better business partner um, to, to their kind of constituents. Talk about like some of the parts of the certifications and or just parts of the process that actually help them move the needle uh, in their day-to-day job and, and yeah. why that's important. Well, sure. And um, let me just start by saying, so it's a three-level accreditation program. And the very first level is called the AFM, the Advanced Financial Modeler. And that's all about building a forecast. So when we talk about financial modeling, we are referring very specifically to forecast modeling of a company. I mean, it could be a project or a division, but we're forecasting a company. And I say that just to distinguish people sometimes think of modeling as data analytics or or you know, uh, graphing. No, we're focusing on forecasting, very much the same type of uh, forecasting as you would do in FP&A in planning. And we're using spreadsheets. We want to test people's skills to build a really robust, best-in-class uh, forecasting tool in a spreadsheet. So how is this relevant then to people who use software? Because there's some amazing software, like your software, um, out there that allows people to assist with their forecast. And I think it's genius. It's beautiful. Um, I'm a big fan of it, but they are not mutually exclusive. Um, There Mm -hmm. is a place for both of them. I can tell you that financial modeling has become one of the most important skills in the world of accounting and finance these days. We're seeing an enormous amount of interest and demand. Well, I ask your your watchers or your listeners, ask, has anyone ever seen a job posting? And the job posting said, we're looking for people that have, I don't know, an accounting designation or maybe CFA, but also, have you seen this? We also want people that have strong financial modeling skills. Um, that's pretty new. That In the last five to 10 years, people are saying we want people with strong modeling skills. You never, never saw that before then. It's because it's becoming a critical discipline. So uh, it goes hand in hand. The software is fantastic. It allows you to kind of do your work quickly. 
but there will always be opportunities when you have to run a one-off analysis or where you're looking at an acquisition opportunity or you're looking at a divestiture or something that is not built into the software capability and you need the ability to build a beautiful, clean forecast model for that situation. Yeah, I think that is a really important distinction. Um, you know, the one of the ways that I think about it is, you know, once you can build that, you know, that clean model, that's when you often want to transfer it and, and you can repeat and reuse and build the structure and build the rigor into a system so you can scale it. Uh, whereas, you know, often you might just have a one-off, it's just, it's kind of personal productivity. I need to do it quickly in a spreadsheet and then just share it with one person. And that's the extent of it. When you're building out a full forecasting process, like your sales forecast or a revenue forecast, and that needs to be systemic and scaled through the organization. Correct. That's when you want to use a system because totally. security, all of those sorts of things. But when totally. you're really just looking at, all right, I need to do something quick, like an M&A opportunity. If you haven't made a systemic process for that in your business and it is a one-off, then you know, that's where a spreadsheet obviously does work. So a hundred percent, there are a million one-offs that we all do. I totally agree with perfectly everything you said, uh, doing with your annual, your quarterly, your monthly global system-wide processes to plan forecast. Yeah. Beautiful to do that in a piece of software. But when the CFO says, Hey, can we look at this organic investment in a certain new piece of machinery, or I want to look at, you know, changing the way we do something, or let's evaluate this or change that. I mean, maybe some of you are listening and laughing because you get asked those sorts of one-offs all the time. Uh, how many of you have get one-off requests regularly, right? Those things need to be built somewhere outside of your typical FP&A planning tool. And so when we are doing those one-offs, what are the key things that um, are really important from a modeling perspective that you should really be thinking about so that you don't end up either making a mistake or having the in inability to scale that type of model? What's yeah, some sure, of the, like, sure. the, the key tips that you would give folks? Yeah, sure. And I'll, I'll show you a couple. Like That's, that's a dangerous question because uh, you told me we have 30 minutes and I could go for about you know, 10 hours uh, to answer that question, but I will, you know, I guess, let me back up by saying that, you know, at the Financial Modeling Institute, our strong belief and my strong belief, I mean, I've been teaching modeling and involved in modeling for 20, 25 years. Modeling um, as a, first of all, modeling is its own discipline. And mm. you asked earlier, what can people do to put on their resumes to distinguish them? Well, it's nice to say you can run and know how to use a piece of software, you know, um, sure, like planful software, but it is a separate thing for your resume to say, I have tremendous modeling skills. Because what it means is it means you know how to think and it means you know how to communicate. I actually tell people, whenever people think of modeling, they think of, you know, they think of being in a dark room in their basement, like beside <laughs> a boiler, you know, yeah. working on a spreadsheet, you know, all hours of the day. That is the last thing I want people to think of. Uh, people sometimes, I ask people to sometimes guess what I think the most important skill set is to have uh, or when you are building models. M modeling is very multidisciplinary. So yes, you need to have good accounting skills and good finance skills and good Excel skills, spreadsheet skills and good design. But perhaps the most important is thinking about how to communicate and how to tell a story. Because if your spreadsheet doesn't make sense and no one understands it, you're not going to be able to make a decision. You're mm -hmm. going to need to make a critical decision on the back of that tool that you've built. And if people don't understand it, they won't have the confidence to use it. 
So, I mean, there are uh, there are dozens of tips that I share with people, and this is what we teach people through the Financial Modeling Institute and then test them on our exams is, can you build a beautiful best-in-class model to make an, an optimal, you know, one-off type of decision of something? You know, things, things to think about. I mean, you've asked for kind of tips. Things to think about include the orientation. Um, you know, I'll, I'll share words that your, that your listeners or viewers have seen before in a spreadsheet is um, how do you structure the file? So as an example, there are two classic ways to design um, a model where you're forecasting something. One is using what's called a horizontal orientation where every piece of the model lives on its own separate sheet. So I call it horizontal because you got lots and lots of sheets. How many, how many of your listeners have ever seen a spreadsheet with 30 or 40 or 50 sheets in it, right? I'm sure you've seen that as well, right, Rowan? We, I, I had a world record recently. A couple of years ago, we worked for a client. They brought us in to help fix a model that they were working on or to look at it. They had built their own internal forecasting tool on, you know, drum roll, 113 <laughs> sheets. There was 113 sheets in the Excel file. Can you imagine? Yeah, I don't know if any of your listeners. So the problem is um, that's what we call a very horizontal tool. Um, sounds like a disaster because what of course happens is every formula is crisscrossing and linking to sheets. It's impossible to navigate an audit. Uh, there are some benefits at times to building horizontally. Of course, the other approach is building vertically where you have a lot of pieces um, on similar sheets. And our recommendation is to try to keep a lot of pieces in a model oriented vertically. Th just think about a set of financial statements. A set of financial statements always talk to each other. The income statement starts with revenue, ends at net income. Well, net income is the first line on a cash flow statement. So it can be like a waterfall. The cash mm -hmm. flow statement, right, ends with ending cash. Well, the first line on a balance sheet is ending cash. So if you keep things oriented vertically, it's actually really clean and beautiful, but very often people put all their financial statements on different sheets just because they think that that's, they just think that that's a better way. Then they never really thought about it. So a lot of tips like that, that help people create really dy dynamic, robust, usable, better tools. Yeah, I, I think one of the challenges there is uh, people are solving for two different things. How do I want to build this? And how does someone want to experience this on, on the outside, right? And so, you know, I, you, you obviously see the horizontal being, oh, I can see the tabs I know to click there. That's me designing for user experience versus me designing for myself who wants to build it in this way. So, you know, obviously there's a big skill set involved in understanding both sides of that as the person building how do I want to build versus how do I want to present and share this information? I feel like uh, I feel like I we should recruit you to the FMI. I mean, yeah, after, <laughs> after this is over, the, you are speaking like a true modeler. No, you're absolutely right. Um, every good forecasting tool, every good modeling tool that you build needs to have multiple users in mind. And the way very often people build the way someone wants to see something mm -hmm. as opposed to the optimal architectural design. I'll give you a very simple, simple example on that front. Well, first of all, so what we always say is a good model should have an executive summary, a one-page summary sheet, because the very first thing that the, the, the client or the user wants to see is the answer. And so let's take the summary of all the critical outputs and summarize them up front. So that the very first thing someone sees is, hey, what's the answer to this problem? Most models don't do that. So the user is left to, you know, to uh, discover and, and sift through and hunt. They have to hunt for what they need. So again, um, 
people want to see something up front, but that's it's the last thing you should build, but we need to put it there because a user is going to want it. And, and so we have to think about that. Keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that comes back to something that you, you said earlier, right? Which is why do we build a model? Well, it's to make a decision. To make a decision. Uh, it's to inform someone of something. That's right. And you know, you can shortcut that process <laughs> by building the summary and having the, the decision or at least a recommendation in there and also showing the assumptions that you might have gone through. And often that can be driver-based, right? Oh, my, I, I, I swear we have to talk offline after. But yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, I can tell you when we, when, we, when we talk about modeling flow, model flow is critical because model flow reflects communication theory and how people think and how people want to absorb data. So as an example, if I was going to build a financial model for, let's say, Planful for, for your company, it might end up being in Excel. It might end up being a long model. It might end up being 20 or 30 or 40 pages on, think of it on paper. I'm going to be forecasting revenues and costs and income tax and working capital and all your, so that might take a while. But when I think about, let, let's say you're the CEO I'm presenting to a senior executive, let's think about what they want. What they want to know, first off, I promise you, is they want to know what's the answer. I've asked you to build the model for a certain reason, right? Mm -hmm. Is it because I want to buy the company? So then I need to understand valuation. Is it because I want to extend a loan? Then I have to understand credit ratios and cash flows and, um, and, and, and risk. Why are we building the model? Let's answer that. So the very first thing you want to show the reader is the executive summary. That lets them say, ah, I can see the answer. But then, as you said, the next thing every human wants to know after is as soon as they absorb the answer, they will always say, great, how did you get there? What decisions yeah. did you make to get there? What did you assume about inflation? What did you assume about interest rates? What did you assume about our sales volumes? And most of the time, those data points are scattered in 5,000 places throughout the spreadsheet. That's not helpful. So we strongly encourage people to have a really well-designed assumption section up front. That becomes its own tab, the second tab. And you list very nicely and cleanly all the inputs because the reader wants to know what's the answer and how did you get there? And I'll tell you a secret. If you do a really nice job building your model with optimal flow, by the time the reader finishes reading the executive summary and then a few pages of assumptions, they're usually done. They want to put it down. And the model builder often says, wait a second, I have 40 more pages to show you. And they're like, that's fine. I don't, I don't care. I get it. I understand it. I don't need to crawl through every calculation because you've delivered it in such a helpful way. So that is kind of what we're trying to achieve. I, the, the analogy I like to use is a good model should be like a nice car. Um, you know, what's the most valuable, what's the most difficult, expensive part of any car? Probably the engine, mm -hmm. at least in, in a traditional gas fired car, right? I mean, maybe yeah. different in a, um, in an electrical vehicle, electric vehicle, but think about a traditional car. The most valuable part is the engine. How often though, do you pop the hood and look at it? Never. You don't want to go look at it, but if you're sitting in your driver's seat, you have all the information you need. You can control it and you can just you know, figure out how things are working. And we need to achieve the same experience in a model. I have plenty of friends where the first thing that they want to do when they see a car is pop the hood. And I also have those same friends that want to pop the hood of every model too. <laughs> Good. But let me ask you, even the friends, this is a great analogy, even the friends of yours that are, that are capable of popping the hood and are understand what's going on. Tell me though, 
would they be frustrated if they had to pop the hood every time they had to drive the car because something was wrong? If every time they went for a drive, they had to slide underneath, pop the hood, fix something, they'd probably get frustrated pretty quickly. A hundred percent. They want to look at it for its beauty and admire right. it and know how powerful it is. Right. But they don't really want to, uh, to be tinkering with it, changing it, finding faults in it. That's exactly the same as a model. I, you know, most people like me want to jump into a car or a model and not have to worry about the engine. But those who can appreciate the beauty of it might like to be able to crawl through and say, this is awesome, but I don't want to have to go there to fix it every time I drive the car. I can, I can look at something if I need to, but don't make me have to change, you know, a, a hose or, uh, you know, something, a belt every single time I have to drive the car because then I'm just going to get annoyed. Uh, yeah, could not agree more there with you, Ian. So let's talk about something that, um, you know, when we are, you know, if you are car inclined, right, you generally know the the places to look for faults in the car, right? It's, you know, starter motor, it's uh, check the oil, or it's uh, a drivetrain type of issue. Where are the common faults in most models? Well, you've asked an excellent question. And I see there's two, I actually see your question is sort of a two stage um, when so in a good car, in a good car, a good car has been built and designed for me, someone who's not particularly comfortable. You know, I mean, I can pop the hood to fill up the windshield wiper fluid, um, but you know, and and to maybe check how my oil's doing. But don't ask me to do a whole lot more than that. But you know what? If I if I'm in my driver's seat, I know that the oil is low, right? Because I get an I get an, a warning light, and I would know if my car is overheating because there's a gauge. And a good model, first of all, should tell me the same thing. So in a good model, when someone builds the assumption page, think of that like the dashboard in your car. That's where you can play with all the controls, the velocity, this how quickly it's going, all the assumptions. But it's also nice to know some red flags. Hey, shoot, you're you're tripping a debt covenant in your three or your balance sheet is out of balance or something else doesn't make sense and we can get a light. And then I can say, let's go figure out why that's happening um, and, and dissect it. So, so the first part of your question is how do you know? Yeah. And I want to know that there's a problem in my model the same way I would know if I was driving my car. I don't want, I don't want to be driving on the highway and then the car just stops and I had no advance notice. I kind of want to know something's going wrong. Yeah. Um, same thing with the model, but as per, like, if you, but the second part of your question, I think was what are the common things that will go wrong? You know, I mean, in, in a car, of course, right. If you let the oil go too low, um, you know, the engine starts to burn up. Um, if, you know, if the windshield wiper fluid runs out, then in, in, in a rainstorm, you can't, in a mud storm, you can't clear the windows yeah. very well. What are the things that go wrong? Well, typically it comes down to, um, comes down to ineffective, inaccurate, problematic uh, formulas. And I can tell you one of the biggest challenges we see in models is huge, long, nested, multi-linked formulas. Have you ever seen a, a formula in a spreadsheet that linked to six different sheets at the same time? <laughs> I've um, built them myself. No, you and, haven't yeah, built them yeah. yourself. You don't, have, you don't have to admit that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We've all um, got, we all start somewhere, right? We all so, start somewhere. Yeah. I've done that too. Uh, but yes, it is... Um, when formulas are very, so this is a best practice tip. When a formula is long and clunky and linking to lots of different sheets and lots of different areas, gets very hard to audit, uh, to, to, to check, often can be filled with mistakes. And, um, and as a result, 
something might end up going wrong and leading to an inaccurate um, spot. You know, one of the one of the top skills that we recommend is a tip that I call repeat and link. One of the one of the disciplines, one of the one of the tactics we recommend in in the construction process is a is a methodology, a mantra called repeat and link, repeat and link. And what that means is if I have an assumption value up front, imagine on one sheet I have an assumption value and then I need to use that value in a calculation later. Don't build a big formula that links to one sheet and links to another spot. Rather, what you should first do is repeat each of the elements you need in three or four rows so that they are simple links, labeled, linked to a specific spot. And then the very end of that little stack will be a tiny calculation that only picks up the values right on top of it. So anyone who edits that can see exactly what's happening. Um, yeah. And so there's no challenges of understanding or auditing what someone has done. Yeah, I think that that is one of the really important parts um, is, you know, understanding that um, that driver effectively. And it's one of the things where the more common language you can use as well with really good labeling with, uh, you know, making it super clean as much as you can use like the labels that make sense to someone that auditability becomes huge, right? A hundred percent. And again, this comes back to what we talked about earlier. And for those, you know, for those listeners or those watchers who are aspiring, you know, to climb the ranks and to, you know, elevate in their careers to become, to move up from, let's say, managers to senior directors, directors of finance or CFOs one day, um, I truly believe that what distinguishes a good senior leader at that point from someone who can build a forecast is the ability to create confidence. And the way you create confidence is by telling a strong story. And the way you tell a strong story is by having a powerful tool behind you that, that can tell the story with you. So having a tool that you can get in front of a group, by the way, you know when someone's presenting someone something and they're not completely confident with it. If they're nervous, they're like, oh, I think this is, as soon as people start hemming and hawing and using weird body language and they say, well, I think this is, the confidence is out the window. When you show up with something that's clean and beautiful and you can, this is what we did. Here's the answer. This was our thought process. These was, this was all the assumptions and thinking. Here's all the calculations. Look at this beautiful engine I have. Don't you like that engine? The answer is X. What do you think? Should we move forward? Yeah. Everyone says this makes sense. Great. We'll follow your lead. And that's the type of, that's the type of confidence and presentation and clarity that allows an organization to want to move people into the next level in any organization. So totally. So, you know, knowing you, you talked before, you know, about the audience, they've all had this, I need this tomorrow, right? Uh, or I need this in 24 hours. And that, uh, that symptom there of not being confident is, is caused by not having enough time, right? Uh, often, or, you know, I've, I've built this quickly. I haven't, feel I don't feel confident in my own assumptions or I haven't built this in a way where I feel like I've put it through rigorous testing. Um, talk about how you can leverage, uh, you know, the concepts from the Financial Modeling Institute and some yeah. of the certifications, because I'm sure there's a process, I'm exactly. sure, and I don't know this, which is, well, if we slow down, we can speed up later, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly, exactly it. I mean, um, uh, 
listen, if I, if you were a scratch golf, if you had, a, if you were an excellent golfer and had a great handicap and you were tremendous and you had not golfed in a year and I asked you to go, you'd still going to, you're still going to play a strong round of golf. If you had to go to a, a client event and play around a golf, you could still pick up your clubs and go to the golf course and, you know, feel very comfortable um, in your game because why, because you've got that skill. You could go to any golf course in the world. You've got, you could use any clubs. You don't need your own clubs. You're still, you've, you've, you've practiced, you've honed the discipline and the skill. So when you need to do it, you understand what you're doing. Um, modeling is exactly the same thing. And I often use an analogy around like sport around modeling. It's a lot of repetitions. And once you understand the discipline, um, once you understand the discipline around design, simplicity, layout, presentation, you can take any problem that's thrown your way. Your boss could say, listen, your boss might say, I just found out that we need to present something to the CEO tomorrow afternoon on an opportunity. Can you throw something together tonight? Great. If you asked me to do that, it would be, you know, it might, I might need to be up until 10, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, but I could say, all right, I'm going to fall back on all the experience and discipline I have around understanding structure, design, layout, presentation, and, and I could quickly put something together that people would say, did you actually do that last night? How did you throw that together so quickly? It looks amazing. That just comes from practice. That just comes from experience um, and under, understanding the concepts and the discipline. And once you got, it's like riding a bike. Once you got that skill, you don't forget, you get back to it. Yeah. So what, uh, I, like the golf analogy, I wish my golf game was at a scratch level because I, I can turn up one day and it's uh, going left and the next day it's going right. So what, what's uh, your handicap? Do you have a handicap? I do. It's 12. Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay. That's fantastic. <laughs> that means you can show up at any golf course, any day of the week. And if you have a terrible day, you're still going to shoot a, a, a 90 and you're still going to be pretty happy. To me, that's like, that might be my front nine score, right? Like I, you, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to get it much lower, but um, so my, I, I think the key is ex expectation management on the golf course. I just turn up without any expectations and then that way I can just manage my way through it. Um, as we think about kind of the future of modeling, um, one of the things that I, I see and feel as a business leader is this desire for speed and for consistent change. And that's because changes are happening, you know, more and more quickly every day, right? Like right. You just look at the outside macro events happening right now in the world, right. you know, supply chain crisis, uh, inflation, all of these things. That's right. how, uh, how important is it to build some of those as drivers into your models? I know you talked about earlier, like building cash flow, uh, like inflation assumptions into some of the models. Yeah. How, how do you think about that for some of those key models that you're looking at? Uh, I mean, it's an excellent question. It, it, it is something that is mandatory, has to get built in. One of the most important elements of any model is what's called the scenarios section. Every every single Excel forecast model that anyone ever, ever builds needs to include something called a scenario page. We, we go in detail at the FMI on how to build it, what it is, but think of it this way. First of all, the other thing we talk about even before that is it's because you asked, is it so critical to be able, a modeler is not just a technical person building a spreadsheet. A modeler is someone who needs to be the quarterback of an entire process. The modeler is someone who needs to drive 
what the forecast looks like. The modeler needs to know that they need to speak to their operations people to understand certain pieces. They need to speak with the treasury department to get other data. The modeler is the person in the middle of the entire machine, uh, the orchestra conductor asking questions. And one of those questions is what you just said. One of the big questions is what are the, what we call the key drivers? What variables do we not understand with great deep certainty? <laughs> what variables could move around on us? What variables could change? Because the, like things like a tax rate, if you tell me the corporate tax rate right now is whatever it is, 21% or 20, and you think it might go up to 22 or, okay, great, who cares? I will enter the tax rate and it is what it is. The tax rate is not gonna surprise us next year and be 47%, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. And if it is, we're gonna have some visibility. We will know years in advance. But something like an inflation rate or a change to sales volumes or uh, interest rates could. So variables that could move around on us are called key drivers. And those variables we need to build in a very specific way so that your model has a base case, a best mm -hmm. case, a worst case, a super worst case, whatever you want, and then toggle capability switch. So your boss says, your boss says, hey, Rowan, um, can you run the worst case inflation? Sure. Let me flick the switch. Or your boss says, can you add a, another case? Can you add, you know, a, a, a management case or another case? Great. Give me two minutes. I'll add another case. I'll flick the switch. Let's look at what it's doing. That's the level of, we call that um, model being dynamic, the ability to make change very, very quickly. And it's a critical part to make sure you understand which are the, there's usually th three, four, five, six variables that have that variability. Let's make sure we identify them, build them in a way that's flexible and, and have the ability to play with it. I, I love that. I think one of the things that um, we suffer from though is I need to build that first version of that model yep. in like three days. And I don't have time maybe in that instance to go and build in all of those different cases. So how do you talk to and, and how do you teach folks to maybe build different levels of maturity of those models, right? So a cash flow statement is a really good one, right? There's lots of different ways that you can build those direct method, indirect, all of that sort of stuff. And yeah. you might want to start with a kind of, you know, all right, I need to get this done quickly and let me mature this over time. hundred percent. First of all, models evolve. I've never, ever met a model that did not evolve. Models constantly evolve, which is why they have to be um, that they have to be very dynamic, meaning you have to be able to scale. They've got to be scalable. You've got to build it. That comes down to the design process. Building, what I mentioned is one of the, you know, you asked earlier, one of the number one flaws in models is poor design. And this is why, you know, I love modeling because it's very multidisciplinary. When you want to build a model, you need to be like an architect, right? If you, um, if you wanted to buy a piece of land somewhere in California and put up, you know, a new house for yourself, uh, what's, who's the first call you would, I mean, you'd get your permits, et cetera. But once you had your permits to start doing something, who's the first call? You'd call your architect or a designer. You're not going to pick up a bunch of your golf buddies, go to Home Depot and start building something on your own because then you would discover ah, shoot, we forgot to build in this capability or we didn't design this. Like now we can't make change later. Whereas a good architect, a good designer is going to say, listen, build it. If you don't even have enough money, build it this way for now, but I'm going to build it in a way that allows you to add another floor one day or allows you to go back and, and extend. And we've already, or I'm going to allow you to put a second kitchen in the basement. We'll put the electrical in such a way that if you want a second kitchen, it's already wired up for that. 
Um, mm -hmm. That takes foresight and planning. And modeling is very, very similar. If I have to deliver something, put it this way. If I have to deliver something, to, if the CEO calls me today and says, Ian, I need you to deliver something tomorrow, I'll say, great, I can do that. But let's be very clear. I can't deliver you a 5,000 line model tomorrow. So what can I get you tomorrow? Let's make sure we set expectations. I'm going to look at some assumptions. I'm going to look at this and that. I can crank something out and it will be, it will be moderate. It'll give us a high level of view and then we can dive deeper. But I will tell you, one of the critical elements that's always needed, even at that very first stage, is a scenarios page. It's so fast. It literally takes five minutes, but it's so fast because at that first meeting, someone will say, well, what if inflation goes up or higher or lower? Great. Let me switch. It literally takes um, five minutes or 10, 15 minutes, not a long time um, to build in multiple uh, cases on how do you get the numbers? Now, you might not have the numbers. You might say, I don't know what the best or worst case should be yet. That's okay but build in the capability and yeah, but you're a hundred percent right. It needs to be scalable that you can add on uh, down the road. Ian, this has been fantastic. And we did say in the, uh, in the pre-show that we could probably talk about this for hours. So this might be something that we come back to, because I do think that we, we literally could go for hours. Uh, first, yeah, it's been I want fun. I mean, if you yeah. want to talk about best, I got tips that could go on for days. Uh, if, yeah. your, if your viewers find it helpful. Yeah, I, I think we should. And so firstly, I want to say thank you very much uh, for, for joining uh, me here today. And uh, how can viewers and listeners uh, get in touch to, to go and get themselves certified or learn about the certifications? Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks. So first of all, thank you for having me on. It's been a ton of fun. And I always love being on podcasts where the, the host knows uh, more about modeling than I do. So that is great. And you certainly uh, have, um, well, at least uh, on, on par, I use that word on purpose. Maybe we'll have to Go golfing. You can show me a little bit to improve that uh, part of my experience. How can people find me? First of all, um, easy to follow me on LinkedIn. It's Ian I A N and then Schnur S C H N like Norman O O R. If you're just listening, you can find me on LinkedIn. And once you see me on LinkedIn, you can see the Financial Modeling Institute. You can also go to our website fminstitute.com. Again, fminstitute.com. And uh, we've got some really exciting things happening. And then you can look around. You can reach out to me, reach out to my partners, my colleagues. Uh, we try to be very accessible and see if, if that's something you want to kind of explore. Uh, we've got lots of options to, uh, to help you improve your modeling skills and capabilities because it's a really important skill set. So thank you, Roan, for having me on. It's been a real th uh, fun and pleasure to be here. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Ian. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Ian Snow of FMI. Cheers, guys. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for stopping by.